This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. It's Tuesday, November 1st, 2022 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The Republican agenda ahead of the midterms is bring down inflation, ban some abortions, maybe not all, protect election integrity, and address concerns about crime. That's to everyone who might consider voting for them. To themselves, among themselves, to their already adoring crowds, there's one premise that's quite thrilling. Own the libs, mock them, put them down, force them into a defensive crouch about their silly obsessions, their policy failings, and let's include on that list their latest embarrassment. That time, the Speaker of the House's husband almost got beaten to death with a hammer. Donald Trump Jr. tweeted a photo of a hammer and a pair of underwear saying he was going as Paul Pelosi for Halloween, the hammer being the instrument that almost killed the 82-year-old, the underwear riffing on a misreported conspiracy theory that Pelosi's attacker was a gay prostitute. Donald Trump Jr. is not running for office. In Arizona, Kari Lake is. It is not impossible to protect our kids at school. They act like it is. Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in D.C. Apparently her house doesn't have a lot of protection. But... How could you not make that clever clip? It's right there. The crowd's going to eat it up. And who does it really hurt? Beside the civilian who required emergency brain surgery to save his life a few days ago. On Face the Nation this weekend, host Margaret Brennan asked Representative Tom Emmers, chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee, about his tweet from Wednesday that had him firing a gun and saying, fire Pelosi. Now, Wouldn't a pink slip be more fitting if it's about firing her? It's interesting, Margaret. It's interesting, Margaret, that we're talking about this this morning. When a couple of years back, when a Bernie Sanders supporter shot Steve Scalise, which was horrendous, when a Bernie and Sanders horrific, supporter shot Steve Scalise, I never heard you weapons. or anyone else in the media trying to blame Democrats for what happened. Now, a good response would have been. Look, the tweet was before Pelosi, Paul Pelosi, was ever attacked. He wasn't attacked by a gun. He has all our hopes for a speedy recovery. And of course, I deplore violence. But that's not what he said. You heard what he said. No one asked Bernie Sanders such questions, except they did. Sanders went on CNN and Jake Tapper asked him if all his talk of revolution could put such ideas into the minds of the unwell. Tapper's CNN colleague Wolf Blitzer asked Sanders' wife... If her husband's rhetoric went too far, the New York Times ran an article, Attack Tests Movement Sanders Founded. There were many, many contemplations of if the rhetoric had gone too far. Sanders, upon getting news of the shooting, went to the Senate floor and said this. I am sickened by this despicable act. 
And let me be as clear as I can be. Violence of any kind is unacceptable in our society, and I condemn this action in the strongest possible terms. All Tom Emmers had to do was say anything in the same area code, the same hemisphere as what you just heard Sanders saying when he found out about the shooting in his name. But Emmers didn't say that because of owning the libs. Doing otherwise would be off-brand and off-message, speaking of messages which fill the air with nothing but enmity. On the show today, I spiel about Waukesha mass murderer Daryl Brooks, Alex Jones, and Steve Bannon, all bad defendants by choice. But first, speaking of Kari Lake and the entire slate of candidates in Arizona, we're joined by local KJZZ public radio journalist Mark Brody. It's Lake versus Hobbs, Kelly versus Masters, the nasty Secretary of State race, and why all those guys with guns and camos are skulking around the drop boxes. Mark Brody up next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Arizona is our mirror, our synecdoche, our id, because we are a riven and fractious country, and that is one riven and fractious state. They have races for governor, senator, secretary of state that hold up a mirror. Funhouse, vanity, you decide. To help us is Mark Brody. He's the co-host of KJZZ's The Show. That's the public radio station in Phoenix. And Mark, thanks so much for coming on The Gist. It's great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. So, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution used to claim they cover Dixie like the dew. I think your show in the Friday newscap covers Arizona like the nettles on a cactus. Or I'm going for something <laughs> from the natural world, but you do a great job, and I want to get into your state. Thank you. What's the... Uh, let's... Let's get to the races in a second. What is going on with these vigilantes? I don't think that's too strong a word. Who have vowed to guard or monitor ballot boxes? Yeah, so especially here in Maricopa County, which is where Phoenix is, most of the voters live here as well. Um, early voting throughout the state is extremely popular. And you can either uh, mail your ballot back, you can bring it to the polls on election day, or you can put it in these ballot drop boxes. And there have been a couple locations uh, around Maricopa County where, yeah, I think you're right to say that their vigilantes have, have camped out, basically, some in tactical gear with weapons. And, you know, they're basically trying to find, quote unquote, ballot mules, people who are bringing lots of ballots or more ballots than just theirs to drop off. It is illegal in Arizona to bring somebody else's ballot uh, to drop it in a drop box or, or to mail it unless it is somebody uh, in your family or you're a caregiver for somebody. So, yeah, these folks are, are like photographing people and taking pictures of their license plates. And, you know, there have been lawsuits to try to stop them uh, because, you know, folks are worried about voter intimidation. 
Now, Maricopa County is the dominant county in the state. Most people in the state live there. It's where Phoenix is. So are you telling, if, if my listeners get the idea, oh, so this is some remote, dusty outpost and a guy in tactical gear, you could walk to a polling place or a drop box place in downtown Phoenix and there's a guy in camo with a gun standing there? Yeah, it, and it's not every uh, Dropbox. I went to drop my uh, ballots yesterday, and I encountered no nobody there <laughs> at all. So it's really, it seems like it's been uh, sort of situated at two locations, one in Phoenix, one in Mesa, which is a, a suburb uh, just uh, just east of Phoenix. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing to say that they can't go to others, uh, but they seem to have been in in two. But yeah, one is just just south of downtown Phoenix. And who inspired them? What are the public officials saying about them? And are they allowed? Has this been adjudicated? Are they allowed to be there? Well, there are ongoing court cases. Um, so far, a judge has said that he uh, could not stop them because of their First Amendment rights to be there. Uh, that is being and their appealed. Second Amendment rights to hold guns while they're there. Yeah, and and there's another lawsuit as well that is uh, going set to be uh, heard this week as well. You know, we haven't heard a ton from public officials. There's, uh, as far as I know, there's one state senator who earlier this year basically said this was going to happen and kind of encouraged it. Uh, last week uh, tweeted, you know, basically I shouldn't have to say this, but don't bring your guns to the Dropbox. But we've not really heard of a lot of people saying, at least on the GOP side, that this is not something that you should be doing. Yeah, it's the Johnny Cash rule. Don't don't bring your guns to town. So what is the gubernatorial candidate, Carrie Lake, saying about this? Is she allowing it to happen? Yeah, you know, I've I have not really heard her talk too much about it. I know that earlier she had made some reference about like bringing a sleeping bag to to a polling place to, you know, try to find people. She is somebody who, at least in the primary, really centered her campaign on election fraud, election denialism. And, you know, hasn't really backed off that all that much in the general election after she won the primary. She is, of course, endorsed by former President Trump and, you know, has said a lot about what she wants to do to change election laws in the state. So as far as I know, she may have said, you know, don't bring your guns. This isn't okay." But she's not really made that big of a deal of it where, you know, where it's been widely disseminated. What is the polling saying as she faces the Democratic candidate Katie Hobbs? That this is going to be an extremely close race. Pretty much every poll that I have seen has had them within a couple of points of each other. Pretty much all the observers with whom I've spoken have said this is going to be a close race. Up and down the ballot, they're going to be close races. Um, at, at this moment, it appears as though Carrie Lake is ahead maybe a point or two over Katie Hobbs, the, the Secretary of State, the Democrat. But I don't think anybody's expecting this one to be a blowout. On the show, on the gist, I've covered that race a little bit, and it is my impression here from over a thousand miles away that Katie Hobbs might have wonderful policies when it comes to the voters of Arizona. I know that's what she would say, but she is at a deficit. Well, certainly compared to the uh, very loquacious Kari Lake, but just in general, she is a pretty poor communicator, and this showed up when she refused to do um, debates, which in and of itself became an enormous issue in this race. What's your assessment of Hobbes and her public persona, how that's affecting the vote? Well, it's interesting, Mike, because there are a couple of ways to look at this. One, as you mentioned, Carrie Lake, like she spent a lot of time, a lot of years on TV. She was a TV news anchor. So A, her name ID is through the roof. And B, she's really good at communicating. She comes across as very personable, very warm. She's excellent at at 
talking to crowds. I mean, that's what she did for a very long time. Katie Hobbs, you know, has spent a, a good number of years in politics, but is a bit more reserved. And as you referenced the, the debate story, that was the story that just would not end. Um, we should note that she also did not debate her primary opponent either. Um, she won the primary easily. So, you know, a lot of folks said, well, there's really no reason to debate him. She's going to win. It's not going to be close. But the the issue of her not debating Carrie Lake in the general has, it's still kind of an issue. There are still signs around town when you drive. There are signs that's, you know, for Katie Hobbs and there are little signs next to it that say debate Lake. So this is still a thing that people are talking about. Yeah, uh, I would say in a primary, you do it for purposes of civic hygiene, even if you're going to win. But in the general, her position is that I won't even deign to give uh, Kari Lake a stage or a platform, but it seems a denial of reality. Kari Lake is the opponent. You debate who is in front of you, not who you want to be in in front of you or beside you. Does she have any, um, just from your assessment or as you read the electorate, what are her best arguments? for avoiding a debate? Well, I think, as as you say, the idea of trying to avoid a spectacle. I mean, that's the thing that her campaign has said. You know, we saw what happened in the GOP primary debate, which was kind of a, a spectacle. It was a bit of a circus. I think a lot of Republicans would say that as well. And she wanted to avoid that. She says she has too much respect for the state to, you know, put the state through that. Um, you know, the, the GOP gubernatorial uh, primary debate was uh, discussed on, on some of the late night shows for a little bit. But, you know... I think there are a lot of Democrats that are saying, you know, just get up on stage and let her, you know, let Carrie Lake say what she wants to say and, you know, just keep talking about your stuff and show that you can be the adult in the room and let Carrie Lake do her thing and just sort of talk past it and talk to the voters. But, you know, her campaign kind of dug in on it and said, we're just not going to do it. We're fascinated by Kari Lake as a phenomenon, and she seems to be kind of redefining politics a little bit, not just in terms of her being a very polished and excellent communicator, but her turning the campaign into a show and her recording everyone who seeks to record her. But is this... Do you think that for all her skills, but also all her baggage, election denialism, if you replaced her with any garden variety, competent Republican, would we think that Republican would be doing better, worse, or about the same? Well, I think if you had like, for example, a Doug Ducey Republican, who's the current governor, Mm -hmm. going up against Katie Hobbs, I think a lot of the politicos in Arizona would say that he would win maybe by 10 points. Um, that, you know, Carrie Lake calls herself basically the female Donald Trump. So in a lot of ways, what we're seeing is uh, the kind of race that that former President Trump would would run, be it against Hillary Clinton or be it against Joe Biden. So it's an interesting question. And, you know, obviously it's hypothetical. We have no idea. But, you know, I think sort of the conventional wisdom is that if you had more of an establishment Republican, they would probably win. But you also have a large part of the base. And remember, the state Republican Party is run by election deniers, run by Trump supporters and Kerry Lake supporters. So on the other end, you kind of got to wonder, you know, if you're pulling the, you know, sort of pulling the bedsheet one way toward the more establishment Republican, do you lose folks on the other side? That that's another that's another question. I don't know the answer to it, but I think it's a it's a realistic it would be in this hypothetical world, a realistic concern for Republicans. 
Yeah, and chief among the election deniers, proudly so, is a member of the Oath Keepers, Mark Fincham, who is running for Secretary of State. I just saw him featured, and we talked about it yesterday on the show, on 60 Minutes. How's Mm -hmm. that campaign going? So this is a really interesting campaign. So he is a state legislator, state member of the state house. And you referenced the the 60 Minutes interview that also featured that the outgoing House Speaker, Rusty Bowers, who has said not super complimentary things about uh, his colleague in the House, Mark Fincham. Um, he is somebody who um, held that uh, sort of faux hearing with Rudy Giuliani in Phoenix after Bowers wouldn't let him do it at the Capitol. He is somebody who was in D.C. on January 6th, says he wasn't at the Capitol. There's some question about whether that's true or not. This is a really, really interesting race. And he's going up against the Democrat Adrian Fontes, who up until 2020 was the recorder in Maricopa County, which, among other things, is the person who oversees elections in Maricopa County and was you know, generally seen to have done a pretty good job. He lost his his election campaign. There were some issues about he wanted to or tried to send a mail-in ballots to basically all voters, whether or not they were on the the early voting list. And that was litigated and he eventually lost that. But this is a super fascinating race. And um, again, it, it seems like it's going to be a fairly close election. The polls have generally been, you know, within a few points, there was one that came out uh, just this week that had Fontes up by about six. But that seems to be about the biggest spread that I've seen in terms of, you know, either candidate up in that race. Yeah, and polling is notoriously hard in down-ballot races, statewide races like this. And I will say, if there's great attention in a fascinating race, as you say, uh, uh, and fascination about a secretary of state race, either something's really good, like Americans love democracy, <laughs> or really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, but... Is there a general skew of Arizona polls? I know in some states, um, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, the pollsters will say, well, I'll take two points away. But in other states, they'll say, no, we've gotten it pretty right. So these polls that you cite or other polls, which I'm looking at, which do show Fincham's trailing by a little bit. Is there sort of uh, some skew or unskew we should apply? It's it's so tough because it really comes down to how they're modeling turnout. And that seems to be the one thing that nobody has a great sense of what it's going to be. Um, you know, in Arizona, independents, you know, not not Republicans or Democrats are the second biggest group of voters after Republicans. So it really will come down to how independents break and how Republicans break. If there's enough Republicans that don't vote for a Republican candidate, assuming that the Democrats stick together and vote in some amount of of numbers, that opens the door to a Democrat. And I, I think based on, you know, based on conversations I've had and based on stuff that I've read, it seems as though the Republican that other Republicans are maybe most likely to not vote for is Mark Fincham. Yeah. So, the cross currents are things like it is a generally Republican year. Republicans are the biggest party in the state, as you say. But the signature issue that that Fincham is going on 60 Minutes talking about is this election denial issue. And polling does show that Arizonans, even given all the factors I've cited, do think that the last election was decided fairly, right? Yeah, well, it depends on which segment of the of the electorate, but rep- the Republican base generally believes that the election was stolen. The sort of establishment Republicans, many independents, 
pretty much all Democrats believe that it was conducted fairly. So, yes, you're right that like it, it election denialism is kind of a base issue for Republicans. And that's, I think, been one of the fascinating things to watch with both Carrie Lake and uh, Mark Fincham, as well as some other uh, Republicans uh, down the ticket who have really embraced this idea of election fraud and election election denialism is how do you appeal to independents? How do you appeal to more Republicans than just the base with that uh, you know, with that kind of philosophy. And Mike, one other thing I should mention is that in Arizona, the secretary of state is next in line to be governor. So for example, if either Carrie Lake or Katie Hobbs wins, and for whatever reason, they don't serve out their four-year term, whoever is the secretary of state automatically becomes governor. Yeah. It would seem, given the conditions you've laid out to me, that something like a, an issue like election denialism, putting aside if it's true or not, it's not true, is plays better in a midterm than it would in a general, in that midterms are more about it lower turnout and exciting the base rather than appealing to uh, independent voters or voters who might say, oh, I can't even pay attention to a secretary of state race. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, this this I mean, all elections all always come down to turnout, but especially in a midterm, as you say. And, you know, that seems to be one of the reasons, for example, that uh, former President Obama will be in town this week. Um, obviously, you know, the election is is a week away and early voting has been going on for several weeks now. So it seems as though maybe part of his message is to get out and vote. You know, if, if you're thinking about voting, if you're maybe not thinking about voting, get out and do it. And I think you're right that, you know, those kinds of messages are particularly interesting in, you know, in this midterm. It seems as though a lot of the prognosticators think turnout will be at or above 2018 levels. But, you know, at this point, we, you know, all we know is, is the early voting numbers. Um, you know, we don't really, of course, know who's going to show up on election day yet. In the Senate race, Blake Masters against incumbent Mark Kelly. Again, I'm a thousand miles away, more than a thousand miles away. It seems to me that Kelly is very much running a local race. I saw him once on one Sunday show and he was talking about the scintillating issue of water in the state, which, okay, from an entertainment standpoint, I wasn't ensorcelled, but it's very important in Arizona. How is he doing and is his strategy to talk almost entirely about local issues? issues helping him. He's definitely been been talking up local issues and things that he has done in the Senate to try to uh, address them. He's been talking a lot about the, the CHIPS Act, uh, you know, this bill to try to get more semiconductor chips made in the U.S. There's a lot of that activity hap that happens. And, you know, he would like to see more of it happening in Arizona. You reference water. That is that is yes, it is not the most scintillating issue, but it is super important here. And a lot of candidates have been talking about it really for the first time that I can remember, you know, candidates really talking about what they're going to do, how we're going to conserve or, or try to augment our water supplies. But yeah, he, he's definitely like he's been talking about uh, native issues. He's been, you know, talking to some of the indigenous leaders, you know, talking about a lot of stuff that really matters to Arizona. He's done some stuff on the border, which, yes, is a national issue, but is also a local issue, uh, you know, especially in, in some of those border communities. So I think it's fair to say that he has definitely been, you know, running his campaign on trying to get things done and, you know, being a centrist and being a, a an independent thinker and sort of a rational thinker, you know, who represents Arizona as opposed to representing his party. In Arizona, there are a couple of very prominent 
Republicans, still Republicans, who have come out against many of the Republican candidates we're talking about, or at least against Donald Trump. And in the case of Fincham, I do believe Rusty Bowers and Mark Burnovich have both come out against him. Does this matter? Or is it playing more like Liz Cheney coming out against Republicans has played within the party nationally, whereas they've the party and maybe the electorate has moved on from whatever a figure like Liz Cheney is saying? Or can you feel the these important Republicans having an impact on potential independent voters, even Republican voters? Well, if you look electorally, it's very much in the Liz Cheney mold. You know, Mark Burnovich lost his primary. He, he was running for, for U.S. Senate in the primary. He lost. Rusty Bowers was running for election to the state Senate. He lost by a lot. So in that sense, you know, it kind of falls along the lines of, of Liz Cheney, who, of course, lost her primary in Wyoming. You know, I'm not really sure if if what they say will affect, you know, other Republicans or independents, but they are saying Bernovich maybe less so than Bowers, but they are definitely talking about, look, you know, this election was fair. You know, we don't have any proof. We are open to looking at it. Bernovich has been investigating this for a couple of years now. And, you know, he has said he I think he said on 60 Minutes, you know, nobody wanted to find something more than I did, but I just didn't find anything. There's no proof. Bowers has talked about, you know, talking to Rudy Giuliani. Show me the proof. You know, I'm I'm listening. I, I voted for Trump. I wanted him to win. Show me the proof. And he never saw it. So, you know, it, it, they could have some kind of impact to the, you know, to the extent that the election issue is, you know, top of mind for voters. Um, they could have some kind of impact. But if you strictly look electorally, it, it doesn't seem as though as though they will. Mark Brody is the co-host of the KJZZ show, The Show. Don't know how he thought of the title, but it's after. It's very Thanks clever, so isn't it? Yes, it's good. It's <laughs> Thanks for having good. me, Mike. Hope there are a lot of focus groups on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Mike. It was fun. And now the spiel. Truisms about defendants who serve as their own counsel, having fools for clients aside, Daryl Brooks is not just a fool, but now a convicted murderer. Brooks is the man who drove his car into a crowd in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and was convicted on six counts of first-degree intentional homicide and 70 other charges last week. Brooks sparred with prosecutors representing himself, witnesses, the rules of evidence, and in exchanges that got a lot of attention on social media, Judge Jennifer Darrow. You said you wanted to raise a legal issue. What's the legal issue? The legal issue is what, how, how is the state allowed to coach the You're people You're assuming they spoke to them and coached them. It's obvious. I'm not, I'm not stupid. Well, I disagree with that, sir. Again, you could ask questions sudden, to lay a foundation all of a sudden the state with these don't witnesses. Got, all of a sudden, for the first time in trial, all of a sudden, now they don't got no cross. That's clearly a rush to try to get through the case. Hurry up. We just going not. We just going to let these people go. Well, this is not, argument. Come on, man. That's, this is argument on your part, I sir. It is it. pure commentary at this point. I just want, I just want that point. on the record. I see through it. Brooks is unwell, not criminally so, but clearly he's a deranged person by common definitions. Just look at his actions. He seems like he's pretty intelligent, but he's not at all strategic. 
But his example, which is understandable given the fact that he is unwell and prioritized his ability to argue with a judge over minimizing prison time, is familiar. It's not just purely nutty defendants who've been recently deciding that a boisterous argument is better than a good defense. Take Alex Jones. Do you understand what I have said? Yes or no? Do you understand what I have said? Yes, I believe what I said was true. So Yes, you believe everything you say is true, but it isn't. Your beliefs do not make something true. That is, that is what we're doing here. Just because you claim to think something is true does not make it true. It does not protect you. It is not allowed. You are under oath. That means things must actually be true when you say them. Don't talk. That was Judge Maya Guerrero Gamble, who is presiding over the Texas case where Jones was found liable for $50 million in damages. That was distinct from the recent Connecticut jury that found him liable for almost half a billion dollars in damages. The Connecticut trial was overseen by Judge Barbara Bellis, who also admonished Jones at times, though she, more especially in that trial, sparred with his lawyers. But the similarities between Judge Darrow and Judge Guerrero Gamble were striking. They looked alike. They comported themselves similarly. They brooked no nonsense, but all they got was attempted nonsense in return. They were smeared by defendants who lost. Smearing the judge couldn't have helped their case. The cases are different. Someone who killed people in Wisconsin, someone who lied about the killing of people in Connecticut. They were different, of course, because as much as Jones seems not able to help himself, Brooks really was a prisoner of his own mental processes before he officially became a prisoner of the state. But both defendants seem like they would rather talk shit and create a fuss than try to actually offer up a defense. Now, you may be saying, well, that's because what they did was indefensible. There is no defense. But we don't know if that's true. We only say that because the adjudication of each act played out against the backdrop of a defendant offering up nothing of substance. And you got to try to mount a defense unless... If you're Alex Jones, you make a different calculation, that whatever conflict you can gin up will be more monetizable than the cash damages you're asked to pay. I think he got that calculation wrong, but maybe his audience loves it so much, and maybe his ability to hide assets is so profound that it wound up being a good decision. There's another huckster out there in this category of preferring distraction to actual criminal defense, Steve Bannon. For everything I could glean from his trial for contempt of Congress, Bannon wasn't just making a public case to reporters outside the courthouse, but then a proper legal case or the best legal case he could inside. He was just once more trying to talk shit when he and his counsel should have been trying to talk sound legal strategy. In Bannon's case, I think the case was winnable. It certainly would have been winnable had he just not defied subpoenas and stopped bragging about it over and over again. I honestly do not know if Bannon is making an accurate calculation that the cons of conviction, four-month prison term, outweigh the pros of martyrdom in front of his audience. Plus, you know, not actually having to get to testify before Congress. That's, I guess, a plus or a pro in his personal ledger. Roger Stone ran game from that same playbook, but that particular chaos monkey, he accurately assessed that he would be rescued by presidential pardon. 
It's disturbing, isn't it? Not just that these lawless propagandists can hold a lot of sway in our society, but that even when it's time to drop the act, they never do. You worry it's becoming more and more culturally common to just go down in flames of disinformation, even when faced with the most serious consequences. Seems like the sign of mental illness, but at least a few of these figures who never drop the act don't seem to have been hurt. I can think of a certain national figure whose business is, on this very day, the subject of a criminal proceeding. Of course, Donald Trump is not personally charged in the tax fraud trial against the Trump organization, but of course he is not cowed in the slightest by any of this. One thing that charlatans, just utter charlatans, used to get pretty regularly was a comeuppance. Now, Less so. I mean, even when rulings go against them and the result is jail or gigantic fines, they just never seem to drop the act. They just keep acting as if they're in the right. And so far, there's a paucity of solid evidence to contradict them. And that's it for today's show. The Gist is produced by Joel Patterson, senior producer, Corey Wara, assistant producer, and Michelle Pesca, COO of Peachfish Productions. She guards the ballot boxes with aplomb. At 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, listen for Not Even Mad, where you will hear Mike Pesca say this, the ear holes are not a sphincter. The Gist is produced in collaboration with Lipson's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oomperoo, Peru, Peru, and thanks for listening.